If you have your Bible today, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. If you're a guest at Fellowship today, thank you for being here. We're honored that you would worship with us. We have begun a a series in the Gospel of Mark a few weeks back um, that I would normally be preaching um, in this service, but I'm going to step out of the Gospel of Mark. And listen, anytime I step out of a book of the Bible that I've been preaching through, you have to know that, that it takes a lot of discipline for me to do that because it's, it's hard. I want to stay in our study, so know that if I'm stepping out of our current study, it's on purpose. And, and it's because I feel like I need to teach or preach something to our church at this time that we all need to hear corporately. And that is uh, what I'm going to do today. I'm stepping out of the Gospel of Mark to preach on the topic of the Lord's Supper. The members of Fellowship Baptist Church will be observing this ordinance on Tuesday evening of this week at 7 o'clock in place of our midweek service. And really because I feel that this is such an important time for our church family, I really think it's worth setting aside an entire sermon to study the topic. I will tell you that it's going to feel more like a Uh, glorified Sunday school lesson in some ways today. I don't apologize at all for taking a little bit of time to teach the Bible. I think there'll be some preach that seeps its way in there probably. But for the most part, my intention with the message today is to teach the church. And and there's a couple motivations I have for this. First, I want our church family, those that will be partaking on Tuesday night, I want you, fellowship family, to understand the significance of what you're going to be doing on Tuesday. Here's what I'm afraid of with this ordinance of the Lord's Supper, because we don't do it every Sunday uh, around here, that that it can sneak up on us. And and in a way, um, we can, well, we just either aren't going to be there, or, or, or number two, we're going to be there, but we're not going to be there with the right spirit. And, and the reason why I'm passionate about teaching this is, number one, so you'll understand the importance of working your schedule around this service on Tuesday night and making the sacrifices necessary to be there. But number two, I really want you to understand it. Because when you understand something, you take it more serious. That's what, that's what I want to accomplish today. Number two, I want those outside of our church family to understand Um, why we do what we do when it comes to the Lord's Supper. And I especially want those who have been visiting the Fellowship Baptist Church for quite some time and have been maybe procrastinating on the growth step of committing through church membership, I want to spur you on to that growth step today. I want you to be able to observe the Lord's Supper with a local church as it's intended to be observed And if God is leading you to this local church, I sure want you to join the church at some point soon so that you can be obedient in following the Lord, not just in baptism, but in this ordinance of the Lord's Supper. With that being said, I want to jump right into the message. We're going to discuss two major points. The major points of our our lesson today have to do with the significance of the Lord's Supper and the exclusivity of the Lord's Supper. I hope you have a handout this morning and you can follow along. The scripture will be on the screen. I'll move rather quickly through the outline today, but every point will be very, very important. Major point number one, write this down. The Lord's Supper is significant. It's significant. Why is it significant? Well, there are three reasons why I believe this ordinance is significant. Letter A in your handout, the command makes it significant. 
The fact that the Lord's Supper is commanded makes it important. Where is it commanded? Look at the text, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1 and 2. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and watch this next phrase, and keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. Listen, the Lord's Supper is not simply an event on the church calendar. It's not something that a church member should take or leave. It is a command of Scripture. Think about it. To say communion is something you can choose to do or not to do would be the same as saying that once a person is saved, he or she can get baptized, well, if they feel like it. If they don't feel like it, they don't need to get baptized. No, refusing communion is equal to refusing baptism. The Lord's Supper is not an invitation to accept. It's a command to obey. Church family, frankly, and this doesn't apply to our guests today, so you can tune me out for just a paragraph or two. But church family, you should make this service a non-negotiable. A don't miss date in your calendar. I don't say that about many dates. But, but you should rearrange your schedule if needed. Ask off work if needed. Uh, be willing to miss practices, games, birthday parties, other activities for the sake of this ordinance. That's how important it is for every church member to participate. It's a matter of obedience. That's why it's significant. Here's the second reason, letter B. The purpose makes it significant. To understand the purpose of the Lord's Supper, I think we need to put the two ordinances together, baptism and Lord's Supper, to understand why they're both significant in their purpose. Um, they have at least one thing in common. They're symbolic. Another thing in common is that they aren't options. They're commands. But they are different in what they symbolize or what they signify. Baptism then marks the beginning of the Christian life. So everyone that is converted in salvation must follow the Lord in baptism, not to go to heaven, but as a matter of obedience to God to, to show the world that they're unashamed follower of Jesus Christ. Here's what happened to me on the inside. We're going to be baptizing after the sermon this morning. The Lord's Supper, though, marks our continuing fellowship with Christ. So while baptism is only observed once by each Christian, if it's scriptural baptism, the Lord's Supper is to be repeatedly observed throughout our lives as a sign of our ongoing relationship with Jesus. So baptism says, I have believed in the gospel. Lord's Supper says, I still believe in the gospel. Now let me make this point clear. Both of these ordinances are symbols of who we are in Christ, not a way to be in Christ. Baptism and Lord's Supper, you know what they do? They picture our salvation, but they aren't a means to salvation. When it comes to the Lord's Supper, there's a teaching popular in many denominations that's called transubstantiation. And that teaches that the elements, when you partake of those elements, they literally turn into the physical body of blood and blood of Jesus when they're consumed. So that means it makes the consumer of those elements the beneficiary of Christ's sacrifice. Now, here's the problem with that and why it's false. Because that doctrine implies an ongoing sacrifice of Jesus. Which, by the way, is nowhere taught in Scripture. Jesus does not have to drink the cup of God's wrath again. He already did it when he died on the cross and our song said it. He said, it is finished. Amen. Jesus died once for all men. You get saved once. Paul makes it clear in our text that the purpose of the Lord's Supper is commemoration, not salvation. 
So really what it does, its purpose, listen closely, is to help us remember the sacrifice that Christ willingly offered for us on the cross as the payment for our sin. Look at our text, chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. Paul quotes the Lord Jesus when he was administering the last supper or his supper to his original disciples. And when he had given thanks, verse 24, he break it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. You see that? Remembrance? This is why we do it. To be provoked to thought, to reflective thought. Remembrance about what Jesus did for us on the cross. That makes it extremely important. My friend Jerry Locke says, when the cross gets old, the heart gets cold. The truth is that we need to be regularly brought into remembering uh, the, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross or else we'll get apathetic and ungrateful for the sacrifice. Or else we'll sing a song like we're going to sing in a few moments together to end the sermon that's called the old rugged cross. And if we don't really stop on a regular basis to remember the cross, we can sing that song and be thinking about whether our lunch is going to burn or not in the oven. But if you are, are grateful for the cross and regularly brought in remembrance of the cross through an ordinance like the Lord's Supper, every time a, a song is sung about the blood or the mercy tree or the old rugged cross, it'll do something in here for you. Let me give you the third reason why it's significant. The consequences of the Lord's Supper make it significant. Now, the Apostle Paul makes it clear in our text that observing the Lord's Supper improperly or unworthily can carry much consequence in the life of believer and the life of a church corporately. Now, if you're not familiar with this text, some of this might shock you. The seriousness of the consequences for the members of the church that partook unworthily are very, very serious. Look at verse 27 of chapter 11. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Drop down to verse 29 and 30. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So there are apparently some of these members of the church at Corinth who were taking the Lord's Supper unworthily. As a result, they invited God's judgment in their life, which included sickness and even death. Could you imagine that? And, and you know what that tells me? It tells me that God takes the Lord's Supper very serious. And so should we. But the question that comes to my mind is this. What makes a person's participation in the Lord's Supper unworthy? Because if the consequences have potential to be so severe, I don't want to part in that. Well, the text answers that question two basic ways that we can partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily. And church members, you need to pay close attention to this. It's on your handout. Number one, ignorance about the meaning and significance of the Lord's Supper. Ignorance, not understanding it. He said not discerning it. Treating it flippantly because you don't understand it. Look at verse 20 and 22. Here, here's what they did. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, now what he meant by that is you're not just coming to fill your bellies. You're not just coming for a potluck at church. You're not just coming to eat. This is symbolic. This is sacred. Verse 21, for an eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. 
This is what they were doing. One is hungry, another is drunken. What, Paul says, have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So the Corinthians were treating the Lord's Supper kind of like a fifth Sunday. Everybody bring a potluck, bring your favorite casserole and your favorite drink. And the reason why is because they simply lacked a proper understanding of the ordinance. You know that our appreciation of something is often determined by how much we understand it. What was Paul's remedy for this? 1 Corinthians 11 was his remedy. 1 Corinthians 10 was his remedy. A little bit of 1 Corinthians 5 was his remedy. You know what that is? It's clear teaching. Clear preaching. That's why I'm taking time to teach this message because I want the members of Fellowship Baptist Church to clearly understand what the Lord's Supper represents. It's not a cracker and juice and go home. It is sacred. It's as sacred as, as, as what we're going to do after the service in putting people beneath those waters. It represents the, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And without the brokenness and the pouring out of blood, there would be no remission for sins. You have to understand what this means. If we don't understand it, we will come in on Tuesday night and, and, and we'll just be flipping about it, routine about it, empty inside about it. And it just can't be that way because that disqualifies one from partaking. Number two, indifference about your own sinful actions and attitudes disqualifies you from partaking of the Lord's Supper. Well, look at verse 21. For in eating, everyone taketh before others on supper and one is hungry. And watch this phrase. Another is drunken. Literally, some of these church members were using the Lord's Supper as an excuse to get drunk. Which, by the way, is always a sin, whether it's in a church or outside of the church. And I'm pretty sure if they were using a sacred ordinance inside of a church as a means to get drunk, they were probably getting drunk outside of the church as well. Which means this, they had very little regard for holy living. We'll talk about that in a second, but it wasn't their only problem. You can go to verse 17 and 18, they had a problem with each other. Now in this that I declare to you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. So not only were they living in an unholy way through drunkenness, but they had divisions and relational strife with one another, which made their observance of the Lord's Supper unworthy. If you, as a child of God, aren't getting along with your brothers and sisters in Christ who are equally children of God, the Father has a problem with that. If you are living willfully in unconfessed sin, or, or if you're living in an habitually unholy life, if, if you've got anger or bitterness or a grudge toward one, somebody else in your church family, please listen closely. The Bible says it's not my rules. The Bible says you're unworthy to partake of the Lord's Supper. Pastor Tyler, you tell me i got to be perfect to partake of the Lord's Supper? Not at all. You just need to be pure. We're not shooting for perfect hearts. We're shooting for pure hearts. We'll be sinners until the day we go to heaven. Everyone I baptize today is still a sinner before I put them in the water and after I put them in the water. And you'll be a sinner when you come in on Tuesday night and you'll be a sinner when you leave on Tuesday night. But there is such thing as being right with God. And that's what Paul is calling for. What was his remedy for this? If he knew this was a problem, he's like, okay, if you're, if you're unworthy to partake, how do you become worthy? Well, it's a simple phrase called self-examination. Look at chapter 11, verse 28 and verse 31. 
But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. This is why on the Lord's Supper night, Tuesday night, we'll have a formal time at at the start of the service uh, of self-examination where everyone is given time to pray and examine their own hearts. But please listen closely. I don't think this is where self-examination for the Lord's Supper starts. Like on that night, an emergency trip to the altar. Okay, listen, if, if you have division between your brother or sister in Christ, you don't get to come to the altar and all of a sudden get it right. You won't have time to go talk to them. Jesus said, you, you have a problem with the brother or sister. You leave your gift at the altar. You go make it right. Then you come back. Okay, watch. It's like a parent who, who's driving with, with siblings in the, in the back seat and they're constantly fighting with each other. And the whole trip to vacation, they're screaming at each other and the father's going back, don't make me pull this car over and, and all these things. And then, and then they get to the next town and maybe the panhandle of Texas that has Dairy Queens because they're right with God. <laughs> and they say, Daddy, can we have a blizzard? It, they've been giving Daddy problems for the last two hours. But all of a sudden, they want everything to be perfect. Oh, any father in his own mind, I guess he might give him ice cream to shut him up, but that's about it. Don't ask for something when you're not minding the father. And that's the point of that text. Like if you're not getting along with, with God's children, go get things right. An emergency trip to the altar doesn't all of a sudden just cleanse all of that. There's some relational differences that need to be reconciled as much as your relationship with the father needs to be reconciled. And so self-examination, church member, you know when it starts? Right now. It starts Sunday and Monday and Tuesday during the day. And then when we come to the altar on Tuesday night, you know what that really is? It's a time for us to feel the weight of our sin. It's time for us to, to examine who we are so that we can really, really understand the weight of our sin that was placed upon the shoulders of Christ on the cross. It's not an emergency trip on Tuesday night to all of a sudden say a magical prayer and now we're worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper. It's not what it is. So be very, very careful that when you come in on, on Tuesday night, you don't have to be perfect. But you, you from now, between now and Tuesday, you really need to do some time with the Lord. I need to spend some time with the Lord. And we need to reflect on any unconfessed sin. Any relationships in our life that are fractured due to our bitterness or our anger and make those right according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's why the ordinance is significant. It's commanded, has an important purpose, has very serious consequences if you observe it improperly. But let's move into the second main point and it's this. The Lord's Supper is exclusive. It's exclusive. Now, let me be clear. By exclusive... I don't mean that it's reserved for some sort of next level, super faithful Christian. I don't, I don't, I'm not meaning to imply that it's like a, you got to have like a, a club carrying card, you know, you, you got, it, it's a country club type thing. It, it's not that we check it, you know, name badges at the door. Um, that's not what I mean by that. This ordinance is for everyday sinners like you and me, but there are some boundaries as far as who can participate. There is some exclusivity that is clear in Scripture and positions that we take as a church. And I want to explain why we take that position. Letter A, it is exclusively for believers. It's very important. 
Meaning you have to be saved in order to partake in the Lord's Supper worthily. Okay, if the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to remember Christ uh, and his death as a payment for your sin, you must first accept Christ's death as the payment for your sin before it can be a reality in your life to remember. In June of this year, my wife and I will celebrate or remember our wedding day that was 15 years ago. Can you imagine she stayed married to me for 15 years? I mean, I can, it makes sense, but... We will celebrate that. You know why we can celebrate that? Because we remember it. It happened. June 24th, 2006, I think. It happened on that day. If it was, if, if, if I didn't have a wedding ring and, 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 and the marriage license, all those things um, to prove that as a reality, I couldn't remember it. I could make it up in my mind, but I can't remember it. And the same is true for you. If, if Christ's death and payment for your sin isn't a reality in your life, then you have nothing to remember. That's why when we baptize these today, I'm very careful to get them to explain to me their salvation testimony. Because I want them to understand first, you get saved. And if you remember when you got saved and what that means, now you're a candidate for water baptism. Letter B, it is exclusively for baptized believers. By that, I mean baptized by immersion after salvation. Baptism is actually, it precedes the observance of the Lord's Supper as seen in the great commission that Jesus gave his first church. Look at the screen at Matthew 28. He said, go ye therefore, he's talking to the first church, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, then teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So it's salvation, then it's baptism, then it's the observance of the Lord's Supper. Now I am thankful for those who have taken the step of getting baptized this year already. Uh, this morning, uh, in my office, I was wrapping up the, the, the second quarter um, email uh, that I'm going to send out uh, to, to all our church membership that lets you know of kind of the things that took place in the first quarter that we want to praise the Lord about, but the things that we are looking forward to in the second quarter. And I'm so excited of how many we've already baptized just in the first quarter of ministry. How many will baptize today? How many will baptize probably in a few weeks from now? I'm so very, very excited about that. But if you have not been baptized and God has been working in your heart about taking that step, man, come visit with me about that today. Come talk with me about that today. If you have been saved, you should get baptized. You need to become a member of our church. And you've been through first steps and understand that you need to get baptized to become a member. You need to be willing to do that if God wants you as a part of this church. If God does, we do. If you're interested in that, take your connect card and the seat back in front of you. Fill that out today. Turn that into the offering plate and we'll follow up with you this week. Let her see. It is exclusively for members of a local church. Let me explain this because this is, this is more unique than the first two. But I want to go back to the very first verse in the book of Corinthians and lay a foundation. I want to build on that for why it's exclusively for members of a local church. First Corinthians chapter one, verse one and two. I want you to notice who Paul is writing to. He said, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ for the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, Unto the church of God, which is at, next word please, that's a place, that's a geographical location. 
He is writing this epistle not to the family of God at large, not to everybody that's saved and part of the greater family of God. He's writing this command to a local, a single visible local church. You've got to get that. In fact, every time the ordinance of the Lord's Supper is mentioned in the New Testament, it is mentioned in the context of a single local church. Notice also where the Lord's Supper was to take place according to 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17, 18, 20, and 33. Look at the screen. Study with me. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you, not that you come together. Watch that phrase, come together. Not for the better, but for the worst. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Verse 20, when you come together, therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Verse 33, wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Four times we see the theme of coming together. And this coming together speaks of assembling in one place as one people. And that place and people is identified as the local church. Paul even takes time to distinguish like, like, where you ought to observe the Lord's Supper, like where and where not to do it. Look at verse 22 and 34. He said, what? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise you the church of God? And if any man hunger, let him eat where? At home. The Lord's Supper is to take place at church with your church. Not on your recliner. Not at every other church you go to as you're on vacation. But in your church, your local church, there's one more reason. I think this is actually the most significant. And this is what really, as as the under shepherd of this church, as the pastor of this church, when I was younger and really struggling with this idea, and we call it closed communion, not open communion. When I struggle with this idea of restricting the Lord's Supper to only our local church, and I really did battle with that idea. This is the single scripture that I'm convicted most about, it's most deep in my heart to defend this position in my mind at least. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And it deals with the purity of a life and how that is connected to the observance of the Lord's Supper. And I want you to follow this closely because verse 7 and 8, and 8 say this, purge out. Paul doesn't, he doesn't like, he's not even nice about this really in his writing. He doesn't beat around the, the bushes here. He's very straightforward. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Paul is teaching that there should be no leaven in the Lord's Supper because leaven is a picture of sin. And so if there is leaven or sin among the congregation that is not repented of or made right, they should purge it out and not allow the unrepentant sinner to partake. Now, I didn't write that. Paul wrote that. Like God treats sin very seriously. We ought not to be judgmental or condescending or condemning or anything like that, but we ought to treat it seriously because God cares about the purity of his church. Amen? Well, then he goes on in the next few verses to discuss how this purging takes place. He said in verse 9, I wrote unto you in in an epistle not to company of fornicators. Let's talk about sexual sin. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, but he he, he tacks on more sins with it. With the covetous or or extortioners or idolaters. 
For then must ye needs go out of the world. But, watch this, I have written now unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother. So a saved person in your church be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a reller or a drunkard or an extortioner. With such an one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? You want me to preach on everybody's sin outside of this place, but I'm preaching about your sin, Paul says. But them that are without, God takes care of that. He judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now, now please follow this. The clear teaching is that those who are under church discipline because of open, unrepented sin are not to partake of the Lord's Supper. Okay, who has the authority? Question. Who has the authority as given to us in that scripture? Who has the authority and responsibility to exercise church discipline or to purge an unrepentant sinner for partaking of the Lord's Supper? Who has that authority? The church does. What's the church? The pastor, the deacons, and the members. They have the authority to discipline in the local church. And who does Paul say they have the authority to purge? Members of their church. So as a pastor, do I get to go to the other good Baptist churches in our town where we have good brothers and sisters that are saved and believe the gospel just like we do? Do I get to go to First Baptist and First Southern Baptist and Emmanuel Southern Baptist and our friends in those congregations? And do I get to tell them, hey, just so you know, you're not worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper? No, if I do that, they have every right to say, get your nose out of our business. Because I'm a pastor of what church? Fellowship Baptist Church. You're a member of Fellowship Baptist Church. Our deacons are deacons in Fellowship Baptist Church. And so we have the authority according to the Bible and, and really the responsibility to make sure that we protect the purity of the Lord's Supper by purging unrepentant and open sin in our church. To clarify, let, let me quote an early Baptist forefather by the name of Greg Willis. Look what he says. Baptists believe that only careful exercise of church discipline could preserve the integrity of the Lord's Supper. I agree with that. But since the authority to exercise church discipline extended only to the members of the local church, they concluded that the Lord's Supper ought to extend to the local members only. Since they furthermore had no responsibility for the discipline of members of other churches and could not ensure that members from other churches, even Baptist churches, were sound in their faith and morals, they could not protect the purity of the observance if they permitted open communion. As a pastor of this church, please listen, it's my responsibility to do my very best at overseeing the observance of this ordinance and that it's not partaken unworthily. So to not be cautious about that would be negligent on my part as the under shepherd of this flock. Now, here's what I realize: There's no way I can be absolutely sure that everyone in our membership is partaken worthily. But one way that I give myself here, watch here, one way I give myself the best uh, chance of responsible oversight is to restrict the supper to my church members because I'm most familiar with my own church members and I have no way of knowing the sincerity and testimony of those who are not members of my flock. If the Lord's Supper, watch, wasn't so closely connected in 1 Corinthians 5 to a pure and holy life, 
If Paul hadn't been so strict about being pure and without division or unrepented sin when you partake of the Lord's Supper, if the Lord's Supper was simply a way, just generically a way to remember Christ's death and there was no scriptural expectations for how we approach it with holiness and sacredness, then by all means, I would be for open communion. But the expectations of purity and holiness that surround the observance of this ordinance are too lofty for me not to be cautious. With that being said, the Lord's Supper is commanded of every believer, of every member of the church. And I, I, would, I would encourage you to, to be in your place to partake of that ordinance if you're a member of the church. Now, let me give you this side note. There will not be any Lord's Supper cops roaming around the auditorium. And if there are, I've got snipers in every corner that will shoot them. We aren't asking for proof of membership from anybody. We're not, we're not evaluating openly anybody's life. I've made it clear tonight, we'll make it again clear Tuesday night, that our expectations are only saved, baptized church members to partake. But please hear me, when it comes time to partake of the elements on that night, it's in between you and God. I've taught you, and, and we have made it clear, but there will be no, no uh, communion cops running around from aisle to aisle. That's in between you and your Lord. Now let me close today by, by telling you what you can expect. It's just practical. When you come to the Lord's Supper service on Tuesday night, because we're going to do a few things different, not doctrinally in any way, but practically. And I, I want to make it real clear. I talked to my dad already. He has administered the Lord's Supper here and, 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 and has been the overseer of this ordinance for 20 years. This is my first time to do it. Um, and so anything that I do different uh, than what he did practically is, is not a measure of, of compromise or rebellion against anything he did. I, I observed the Lord's Supper practically in, in that way my whole entire life. And, and so some of the things that I might do different are by no means saying what he did was wrong. Are you, are you, are you hearing me? Um, I appreciate, I honor, I'm for that. Um, and certainly if we were changing a theological position, this would not be the way in which I would change a theological position. And so I'm not doing any of that, just simple practical stuff. But it might be if, if you're a longstanding member of fellowship, I say these things because longstanding church members don't like any type of change. And so I, I don't want to like, you know, turbulence when you're on a 747 and you're like, the pilot knows you're going to be OK, but you don't think you're going to be OK. When you feel turbulence on Tuesday night because maybe you're given the juice in a different way than you've been given it the last 40 years, um, I don't want you shaking and thinking, oh man, the church is going to crumble down on us. What's going down? All right, it's going to be okay. Take a deep breath right now. You have two days to process this. Um, and, and so I wanted to get across these things. You might think they're silly if you're not a longstanding member of our church, but indulge us for just a moment when it comes to distributing the elements, the juice and the bread. Um, normally we have our deacons pass those around in trays and we grab those. I think there's a healthier and more efficient way uh, to do that. So on, on Tuesday night when you walk in, uh, you'll see two tables um, located in the foyer. And uh, you'll just be able to help yourself to the elements in that way when you come into the service that night. So before you come to the auditorium, stop by. You'll be able to get uh, your juice and bread there. Um, thanks to COVID, a lot of the distributors of these elements have sealed um, the elements. And so when you don't worry about your juice spilling between the time you get it or your, your, your saved, baptized child spilling it, 
all over the carpet like some of you adults spill coffee on the carpet. We won't go there, but um, you might have seen the signs before you came in the door. Might need to take a second look. Um, anyway, uh, the, the, the grape juice has a seal on it. And so um, you don't have to worry about tripping or, or anything like that. If you have shaky hands, whatever. Um, and then in, there, there'll be a, a piece of bread in the cup. And, and so you just, just grab both of those when you come in. Um, also in the past, uh, the service has been very, very concise in the sense that, that the deacons and, and pastor would come in and we basically sing one hymn together, have some scripture reading, some prayer and distribute the elements and go home. Um, on, on this Lord's Supper service, it's going to be a little more detailed than that, a little more detailed than that. Uh, we're going to sing several songs. In fact, about six songs or so together. Um, as a church that speak of God's love for us, I fully anticipate that we have a sincere time of corporate worship together that night. There'll be two specials that have been prepared um, that will draw our thoughts and our minds to a point of remembrance in a very special way. And, and those will be a particular blessing to us. And, and so when you come in, it, it won't necessarily um, you know, just be as concise. You can expect it to be a little more like a, a church service in some ways. Um, but... Um, it, it will have uh, still a solemn and, and serious approach as compared to like, you know, we come up here and, the, and we sing victory in Jesus, the choir's clapping and we're enjoying ourselves. It won't have that feel at the start of the Lord's Supper service. And, and rightfully so. That's intentional. Very, very intentional. And, and so we're, we're, we're trying to make an environment that night that is conducive to fulfilling the purpose of the Lord's Supper, which is commemorating the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and, and so at the start of the service, um, you'll come in and I'm, I'm just going to ask that, that there's not a lot of talking. Our kids run around and supervise in the building, um, but that you come early and the instruments, instrumentals will be playing for quite some time, uh, probably before you show up. And so come. Uh, we are hiring out daycare and it's licensed uh, daycare workers. And our nursery coordinators will be at each nursery overseeing that, making sure it, the, the exchange is good and, and, and everything is understood well. Um, but even if you have a, have a kid that, that is, is outgrown the nursery a little bit, um, but you don't think we'll be able to sit quietly and reverently in, in the ordinance service, I want you to take them to the nursery. They're prepared for that, even if they're potty trained, a little bit older, all of that. Don't worry about that. Alexa Varnes is, is prepared for, for all of that. So drop them off. And the reason why, I want our kids to be trained to learn how to sit in church. Just the Lord's Supper isn't the training time. Okay? And so Sunday night's a good time for that. Uh, but the Lord's Supper is not for that. However, if you do have kids that can sit quietly, but maybe they're not saved or baptized yet, and so they, they can't partake, I still would ask you to bring them with you. Because they need to observe what's going on. And it's, gonna, it's probably going to provide some questions and some dialogue between you and your children. And you'll have an opportunity to share the gospel with them, have a natural gospel conversation with them. But though we'll be very serious and solemn throughout the, the most, of, uh, most of the evening, I'm going to be having the last point of my message out of 1 Corinthians 11 that, that teaches us that we ought to observe the Lord's death. Christ, uh, Paul says, till he come. And, and, and so the end of the service isn't going to be as solemn. The end of the service, because we know he, he was, we know he's risen yes. and we know he's not dead. The disciples walked away from, from their last supper with Jesus sad because they didn't understand it all. We understand it all. So I ain't walking away sad. 
I'm walking away glad that if he fulfilled the promise of not staying dead, he's going to fulfill the promise of coming back for me. And so we are going to end the service in more of a spirit of anticipation as we sing How Great Thou Art and we sing I Will Rise and we sing songs that, that remind us that, that this ceremony, this ordinance of the Lord's Supper, it, it's, it's ceremonial now, but it's going to be actual one day. The marriage supper of the Lamb. We are going to sup with the Lord Jesus Christ himself in heaven one day. And so this gives us to that point of anticipation. And so when we leave, it won't be quite as somber. All right, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to talk in fellowship if you need to. In fact, there's going to be a choir practice um, after the service to prepare for Easter since there's no midweek service. So take on a little different feel than, than maybe you're used to. You do whatever you're comfortable with in that regard. But I just wanted to be uh, a little more upfront um, for those seasoned members um, that, that, that might not be used to some of those things they'll experience on Tuesday. It's going to be a great service. It's going to be a special service. It's going to be a service worth coming to. I really mean that. It's going to be very, very meaningful and intentional and worshipful and, and special in a lot of ways. And, and mom and dad, I want your kids, if they can, I want them to see this and be a part of this. And it's going to be very, very special. If maybe you're here today and, and you don't meet those qualifications, A, you're not saved. Man, I want to invite you to get saved today. I mean that. I don't want to just throw that in as kind of a token part of the conclusion of my sermon. Like, I really mean that. If you know in your heart that you would partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily because you've never come to the cross, you've never believed in the gospel, man, I would love for you to talk to me today. Would you do that? Would you talk to Brother Mike today? Any of the pastoral staff members today and say, you know what, I need need to talk about getting saved. If you know you've been saved, but you haven't been baptized, man, I I want you to submit to baptism. I want want you to take that growth step of becoming a member of Fellowship Baptist Church. A big if, if God is leading you to this place. We'd never manufacture or force that. We want who God wants to be a part of the Fellowship family. And then I hope that that you'll just make it a a point to be here on Tuesday night with the right spirit, starting the process of self-examination right now. So what we're going to do to end the service, I thought, do we have an invitation? Do we give people an opportunity to pray? And I thought, you know, maybe the best way to end this sermon would be just to sing a song together. A song that helps us to think deeply about the cross. A song that brings us back to really what this week is all about before we get to Easter. And it's about the fact that Jesus walked down the Via Della Rosa. He was whipped. He was mocked. He was hung on a cross. And he was killed for you and for me. I know we sing this song at a lot of funerals, the old rugged cross. I've I've sang this song more than any other song I've sung for funerals. But I want you to let it be more than just a funeral song. I want us to sing it paying close attention to the lyrics and close attention to what this song means. Are we ready to do it? All right, you guys come. I want an instrumentalist to come. Come on. It's all right. Come on, whole band. Come on, Rebecca. We'll take a violin in there. Um, and I want us to sing this really, really well. I think we're going to sing three verses. Is that what we're going to do? Very good. So, so really think about these lyrics. Lift them up to the Lord. And and let's just praise him for the cross. Let's kick off this week thinking about what Jesus did for us on the old rugged cross. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet.